Today we're in Exodus, looking at, um, I'm going to read chapter 9. I'm calling this the heart of Pharaoh um, in this section. It's really, and, and here's something I wanted to just, most of the time when we as Americans read any story, any account, we automatically, and I think this is a human thing, we automatically sort of identify as the underdog in a story. The oppressed one, the underdog, whatever. Many, many times, um, if you take us as a nation, we're not actually the underdog. Um, we could actually be the oppressor in a few cases, and it's helpful when we read any account to stop and say, well, where, where am I really? Where are we really? Are we, are we truly the oppressed, the underdog? Um, and, I, and, and I say this because we can get trapped into thinking different. So for instance, I remember a couple of years ago reading a book on the gathering of believers. That was just the name of it. It was called The Gathering of Believers. It had a lot of cool concepts on what should our fellowship look like. A lot of really neat pieces to it. And I really enjoyed it. I think I benefited from it. Um, in the back of it, there were references made. Um, and so I was able to go find their YouTube channel uh, where some of these gatherings of believers were sharing things. They were in the United States. They were not preaching anything that was against our government. They were not uh, even tearing things apart. At all. They were just preaching the gospel, reading about this, talking about what it means, talking about us coming together. But they were acting as if they were in communist China. The, the faces were blurred out. There were pieces taken out of the voice track so that it didn't sound exactly like them. And I don't know all the reasoning behind it, but it felt like this is from what I was seeing, what they were saying and how it was written. It was as if they were expecting to be in communist USA any moment. And so they were preparing for that and were operating as if they were under the communist regime that was in China at the time. And so I think about that sometimes, how it is possible for us to get so fixated on the oppressors of the world, that we don't even walk in the freedom that's ours. And this is necessary to think about when it comes to Exodus and the children of Israel. God is trying to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. When he gets them out of Egypt, Egypt is still so hard in them that they don't even go into the promised land. The ones who are responsible, the ones who are adults, the ones who are capable of leading, the ones who are capable of saying, we follow the Lord, we're going to follow him, their hearts were not prepared to enter the promised land. And so even though God physically removes them out of Egypt, they still had so much Egypt in their heart that they did not have the belief necessary. And so we live in a time where we can read and we can get into a rut of who we identify with. And so we might always identify with the underdog. Like a David and Goliath story, we'll always think of ourselves as David, right? I mean, whoever reads David and Goliath and says, well, yeah, I think I'm Goliath. Like, we don't do that. Like, it's not the normal way of thinking. But I think in terms of scriptural application to our lives, it might be healthy to stop and say, are there things in my life that are, that are in common with the oppressor? And so in this case, I'm asking, are there things in us that are like Pharaoh? 
Now, we can also ask the question saying, am I in the position of Moses? Am I in the position of Aaron? Do I have, but is there something? So let's read Exodus chapter nine. And this is gonna cover the, the livestock, the fifth, sixth, and seventh plagues. We're gonna read all of chapter nine. So Exodus chapter nine, starting in verse one, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the children of the Israelites was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So there's an interesting point here when it talks about the, the Israelites' uh, uh, livestock is dying, but nothing is dying over in the in the land of the Israelites. So it's only happening for the Egyptians. I think I got that confused there. What is interesting to me as I read through this, and you'll see there's several themes here that make you stop and ponder. One is when we get to the plague on the hail, they are talking about getting their livestock undercover. And so when I first read it, I was like, what livestock? I thought it was all dead. And so I had to go back and read this. And so it doesn't say that all of your livestock will die when he's giving the thing. It just says that the Lord did this thing on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died. So, so I was reading that phrase, looking at, okay, how does it actually mean this? And so it seems that there was a, that all of the livestock of Israel was endangered. And of all the, all the no, I'm saying it wrong. I keep saying Israel when I'm trying to say Egypt. All the Egyptians' livestock was in danger. And a lot of it died. But of the Israelites, none of their livestock was in danger and none of it died. And so <clears throat> it is fascinating because a little bit later we find things where it seems that all the green grass was eaten or all this or all that was destroyed. And then it'll like with the hail specifically, we'll say, but this was not destroyed. So let's keep reading. The sixth plague comes to boils. Verse eight, so the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace. Let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Several interesting things. Tim pointed out last week that the, you know, the magicians had stopped trying. Uh, I think they, they, they did several of the signs before the official plagues, and then they did a couple of the plagues, and then they stopped trying. But they're still in attendance. Until this day, it says they could not stand before Moses because of the boils. And so if you think of what boils do to your skin, it got to the point where they were like, we can't even be in the court, we can't be here, and they, were, they couldn't stand before Moses. So I, f I found that fascinating, they were still there. Um, and it's also fascinating, this was another point Tim pointed out, was that, that it's Moses is doing a lot of this stuff. He threw the dust toward the air. Um, 
And then we, see, we keep seeing Moses actually doing the thing that in the beginning, God would talk to Moses, Moses would talk to Pharaoh, Aaron would act. And so now it's like Moses is acting and talking at the same time. All right, verse 13, Exodus 9, verse 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart, and on your servants, and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. This is a very important message for Pharaoh because of how many gods he has. The Egyptian pantheon and the Greek pantheon have a lot in common. There's so many gods that they have. That there's just a lot happening. And so for Pharaoh to ever come to the point to say there is no God but the God of Moses, that would be a huge miracle. And so this is, but God is saying, I want you to know there is none like me in all the earth. Verse 15, now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. So he's basically saying, I could have killed all of you. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people, in that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. So some of them say since, since Egypt was a nation. So, okay, keep reading. In verse 19, Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. This is serious hail. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent, sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. And treat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not fear the Lord God. Now the, then that's the end of Moses speaking. And it says, now the flax and the barley were struck for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. So those two were almost ready. Well, the barley was already producing fruit and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat, verse 32, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck for they are late crops. This is important because later we have the locusts coming through and eating stuff. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. 
So what is fascinating about this plague, the seventh plague, it is one of the first, it is the first plague that has a way of escape built into it. There is something that they can do. If they believe the word of, the God, of God, they can actually, the word of Moses, they can actually go get their livestock and bring it inside and they can protect their men and their livestock. If they don't believe the word of God, it's, it literally says that their, their servants and their animals that are in the field will die because of the hail. It will come so suddenly. It will be so catastrophic. It will be huge. And so it says back there in verse 20, that he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to their houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. This is, this is, a, this is a concept that we see throughout scripture is that God gives us his word. He gives us his word through which we can actually run to protection. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. So we have a, a constant protection that is offered through the Lord. There is, there is brokenness in the world. There's sin in the world. There's sickness in the world. There's a lot of things that are happening. And, and there is a certain level that these things happen to all people because of sin entering the world. But then there are other things that happen in the world that are consequences of our wrong actions. And sometimes we don't realize that something that's in our life is a wrong action. We don't always discern between what is the result of the curse and what is the result of some wrong action on mine. And so if we come to understand, oh, the reason I'm having this constant problem, finances is a really good picture of this because you know, for us, we live in America, there's a lot of prosperity all around us. If we do, if we follow Christ, if we do the, the principles and we're not selfish, but we are diligent and we're working and we're, there's so many pieces to this, to, to our finances, and when we're doing it, it is easy, especially here in America, to prosper financially. But we can make bad decisions consistently over and over and over and over again. And it's like the guy who says, you know what? Moses said there's going to be hail, but ha, these cows need something. So take them out there. And he sends his servants out. And then what happens? The hail falls. God's word is still true and destroys his animals. And so he, he can then, what can he do? He can go home and say, well, I guess God doesn't want me to have cows or whatever. So, so you can immediately blame God for the thing that happened when God actually, in fact, gave you a warning. And so this is true. I found this in my own life. This was true financially. This was true with relationships. There were so many warnings that God gives, so much instruction that God gives. If you read through Proverbs, it says, my son, my son, and he's trying over and over and over again to say, listen to the commands, hear my word. And he says it over and over. And so I, I, I see the heart of God in this where he's saying, look, if you will hear my words, if you will listen to what I'm saying, there is a place of escape. There is a place of protection. There is a place of blessing. All around you might be destroyed, but you can be protected if you believe and fear the word of the Lord. And so it says, for those who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, and made their servants and his life, their livestock flee to the houses, those were protected. And so this is, this is an important point that I want to make here, is because 
what I said earlier, it is easy for us to identify and say, well, I fear the Lord. I would have brought my livestock in. Well, in order to even put yourself in this position, you have to realize you're an Egyptian because these were Egyptians. They were in the world, but they had an opportunity to hear the word of God and to protect themselves. Over where the Israelites were, there was no hail. And I, I think of that God's ability to control the weather. And there were a, a number of years back when I would go into Mexico a lot with bearing precious seed, uh, we would often set up for a, um, a, we had a noon meeting and an evening meeting. And because of our proximity to the mountains, as the mountains come down into El Paso and into Mexico, um, there would often be an afternoon storm. And so that afternoon storm sometimes came at noon, right as we were all, you know, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd pull in the bus, we'd set up all the, with the puppet show, the chalk drawing, we'd get it all set up, and then we'd go knock on all the doors, and all the neighbors would come, and their children, they would come for the, to see the puppet show, to hear the, the gospel chalk presentation. And so as they're coming for this, here would come the afternoon storm rolling in off the mountain. And it happened so many times that it was, it was legendary, really, because the storm would come in. And so we had to ask a simple question. Did God send us here? Are we supposed to do this? So what are we supposed to do? And so we would start praying. We would say, Lord, you sent us here to do this thing. You also control the wind and the rain. And so if you want us to be here, if you want us to, pr to, to share your word here, because we had Bibles that we're also handing out where we're working with local churches. And I don't know how many times that as we prepared and as we prayed, the storm would come and we could literally look a block or two that way and see rain hitting the ground. We could look a couple blocks that way, see rain hitting the ground. And where we were, there was no rain. Sometimes there was sunshine where we were. And you'd look up and you'd see one little hole and there'd be God's sun shining through. There was one day when it, the, answer, the prayer didn't seem to be answered. And so everyone was standing there. I wasn't on this trip. This was, a, this was an account that they, that they shared many times to give us courage because we would all pray and we would hope for the intervention. And it happened a lot where the rain would come swirling out of the mountains and it would just kind of go around us and we would have our meeting. And, and, you know, and it's always fun for the for, for the, uh, the, the families there in Mexico, they'd be looking at all these Americans waiting to see what are they going to do? Like, look at this rain, it's coming. What are they going to do? And so they would stay for the show. Like, let's see this thing, right? And so one time, so this particular time, there was a moment where they saw the rain coming, but this was not in their normal, they weren't in the normal area. So they didn't know what the weather patterns were going to be like. They didn't know how violent the rain might be. And so they all prayed. They got everything ready. They had the canopy set up. They had everything sort of underneath the canopy. And suddenly um, they had like, just, it was a downburst really. And so they had about a hundred people that had come out from the city, from the village. And so they brought them, they, they, crowded them all into the little shelter that they had and they were just hanging on to the shelter to keep it from blowing away and it just rained and so but they were like no we came here to share the gospel so the, how long can this last so they hung on to the shelter the rain poured and finally it moved on and all of the, the folks that had come out were like, okay, well, we've stayed through the rain. Now, what are you going to do? So they went ahead and did their full, the, their normal program. And they said it was the most amazing thing because usually the, per, the percentage of people who want a Bible, there was a percentage that they would run with. But they said that day, the adults 100% wanted a Bible. And they 100% wanted to pray and follow Jesus. And 100%, they, they were like, it was, it was just a, it was tremendous, the response. And they, they always felt like, 
there was something in it that they were looking at it going, well, you know, how much do you care about this message? Well, we care enough to be standing here in the beating rain to hold down the, 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 the canopy to protect you guys, to keep you dry. And so this, it was just one of those stories that we had. It was, it was, it was legendary in its, um, because they would tell the story. This is how the rain works. This is how we pray. This is how God protects us from the rain. And then people would be like, oh yeah, right. That probably only happens for other people. Then we'd go down, we'd pray, and it happened again. And so it was it's too many times to just be coincidence. Like you can't always be in that little spot where there is no rain. God has to be watching out for you. And so when you see God protecting his people, and yet it's raining over here, because this is something uh, that we have that, we have that scripture uh, thing that says that God makes his rain, uh, makes it rain on the evil and on the good. And yet we see sometimes God says, but I am going to specifically protect my children. And so this is important for us to think about is when things are happening to us, Am I able to consider my heart? Am I able to search and ask the question, which heart do I have? Am I in the court of the Egyptians or am I in the court uh, with the Israelites? Where am I? Because this is important. It's, it's, it's important to not just always assume that I am the hero in the story. Maybe you don't do that. When I read a story, I identify with the primary character, the one that God is blessing. So like I'm reading this, I'm thinking I'm with Moses and Aaron. I'm not thinking that I'm sitting down there as one of the servants of Pharaoh. I don't think that I am an, an Israelite that's over there watching, wondering what in the world's going on with Moses and Aaron. I, I put myself in the shoes of Moses and Aaron. But here's the thing, there were only two of them and there were thousands of other people available. And so when you think about all of us and all of believers, like how many are actually Moses and Aaron and how many are actually just part of the camp? Like we can't all be Moses and Aaron. There's many of us on any given day for whatever God is doing, we are the children, the children of Israel in the camp. Or maybe we're the Egyptians, we're somewhere else, we're not on the main stage. And so it's important to understand that maybe when I'm reading these things, maybe I'm sitting in Pharaoh's chair. I mean, most of us don't think we have that much power. And so it's harder to put us there. However, um, so it, it, you know, if you go to the end of, of, chapter, of the verses of chapter 10, I believe it is, the very... Uh, something's confused here. No, it's in, oh, it's in chapter 9. So the one we just read, so Exodus chapter 9, verse 34 says, Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased. He sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. It actually says his servants hardened their heart. So this is not normal that we have the servants harden their heart, and usually it's just Pharaoh. In the next plague, we see the servants going, Pharaoh, don't you get it? Their God is destroying everything. Everything's destroyed. Don't you get it? And so, but then, you know, they can't actually stop him. So this is a question, because here's God is making a difference. Maybe when the servants came out and saw that the storm had ceased, maybe they had that same sense that we often do after a storm. If you step outside and the clouds are rolling away, everything is refreshed, you, look, you go look at the destruction, you see what's, being dis what's happened. And as you're out and about, you're asking, you're thinking, well, that was bad, but it's done now, right? It can't come back, it won't come back. And so maybe the servants had that issue where they came out, they saw the judgment, and they're like, well, but the storm is over now, right? It's, it's done, it's not gonna happen anymore. Or maybe 
and, and this is the question. We don't know why, but they hardened their heart along with Pharaoh this time. It, it specifically mentions that. But I want to look specifically at the words of Pharaoh and ask myself and ask you, like, do you ever find yourself in this place? Okay, so verse 27 of chapter 9. So it's uh, Exodus 9:27. It says, Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. Okay. But up until then, you are righteous. You had it together, right? But this time you sinned. Okay, so I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Okay, and then there is another moment over in the next chapter, chapter 10, where in, uh, it's the plague of locusts. Exodus 10, in verse 16, it says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once. And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And so what's happening with this is the heart of Pharaoh does not believe that his lifestyle that his gods, that his entire culture, he does not believe that there's a problem. He doesn't think that he has an issue. But he doesn't like the bugs, he doesn't like the hail. He doesn't like certain things, and so there's times when it's bad enough where for a brief moment he says, you know what, maybe I am wrong in this. And so it reminds me of the person who is continually provoking and continually hurting someone else, and then when you push them for it, they're like, well, if I hurt you, I'm sorry. Or they'll say, I'm sorry if you felt offended or whatever, and they will try to pass the buck back and forth. Pharaoh is not understanding that God is saying your entire heart is wrong. Your heart is not toward me. Your heart is for yourself. It's for your gods. It's, it's not for your people. It's not for, it's not your heart is not toward the living God. And this was the, the heart of Pharaoh. So what I found fascinating as I was reading this was how it is possible. Um, and, and we see this specifically when you have someone like, um, um, when, you're, when you're dealing with, say, a sexual addiction or a besetting sin. So let's say someone who is constantly angry and angry and angry and you're angry enough of the time that you don't realize that this is actually not acceptable it's not okay and so one day your anger hurts someone and you're like uh i'm sorry i sinned that time no you actually sinned every time you've been sinning every day for a very long time but that time you saw how it hurt someone else and so this time you're trying to say i'm sorry it's kind of like you're, you're hoping that if you say sorry quick enough and fast enough that it'll just patch things over and nothing will happen. And so in the case when you, have, when you have the heart of a man who, or a woman really, anyone who's trying to control family or other people in a relationship, if you have narcissism happening, if you have these control issues happening, there is a, a very real sense in which when they feel like they're getting caught, they will say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I was wrong that time. And they're just trying to patch it up enough to keep things quiet so they can continue on with their own destructive behavior. 
they don't like it when it hurts them. They don't want it to hurt anyone in a way that would make those people actually rise up and say, enough's enough. And so if you think of, if you think of a man who is addicted to pornography and his wife finds out about it and he's like, yeah, you know, I, w- I was wrong that time. I shouldn't have done it. And so she might think, well, okay, he, he, he was wrong that time. Maybe he just did it that one time. But if she finds him again next month and the following month and the next year and the following year, after a while she says, your whole heart is rotten. And he will try to protect himself to say, oh, you know, I do need God's forgiveness this time. And he will try to make it sound as if it's not that bad. And I'm speaking of this person in the third person, but if you take that behavior and you apply it to any sin, like we could do it for, the, for anxiety, for worry, for fear, for fretting, for um, nagging for anger. There's so many ways that we can fall into negative human heart patterns, but we don't think it's that wrong because we're comfortable with it, because we've done it all of our life. Uh, I remember for myself with, with anger, this was one of those things where growing up there was so much anger all the time, and I would be sorry if it hurt someone else. I would be sorry if it really, uh, or if I was going to get in trouble, I would suddenly be very sorry and say, would you forgive me this once? And I would have really the heart of Pharaoh. I had a heart that was not turned toward God. And I think when we examine ourselves from that perspective and say, am I, you know, Pharaoh was on a throne in Egypt. It was pretty obvious. He had servants, he had all these other things. Sometimes we don't recognize our own throne that we're sitting on and, and the rule that we are trying to make. And so when we put ourselves in Pharaoh's shoes and we say, well, Do I understand? Because this is what Pharaoh never understood till the day he died. He did not understand that his whole heart needed to be made new. So when it came to his attention, he's like, I've sinned this once. This time I sinned. Forgive me only this once. It's more like saying, ah, you caught me. I'm sorry. And it's not the same as saying, my heart is wrong and I need help. And I will take extreme measures so that I will have, can have a complete change of heart and never be in that circumstance again. And we can do that with any besetting sin. We can say, you know what? This is enough. I will not allow this to be in my life anymore. Whatever it takes, I'm coming to Christ. I'm going to humble myself before you, whoever it is that you need to humble yourself before, and you're saying, here's a complete and total clean, uh, 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 not a clean slate is not what I was trying to say, a complete confession. This is what I have a problem with. And it goes beyond just this one thing that you caught me in. Because if you look at Pharaoh's heart, he doesn't have just one issue that has to do with Moses and Aaron. He has a lot of issues. We don't know all of them, but we keep getting little hints about them. And so Pharaoh's heart is... Willing to say I'm sorry if that helps himself. Willing to say forgive me if that helps himself. And this is a problem. And so if I, when I think of the church in America and how many sins we hide, and then when we're caught, we're like, oh, you know, forgive me this one time. I'm sorry. And it's not okay. We actually need to have a clean heart before God, a heart that is drawn to the light of Christ, a heart that doesn't mind having everything out in the open because there is nothing to hide. That's what we need. And this is also what makes it complicated in our day and age when we have a a relationship um, that we're struggling with is it's usually not because it's 
100% clean slate here and complete all the problems over here. There's usually a mixture of this. And so a lot of times we say, well, if one person in the relationship is willing to completely humble themselves and take ownership, that can save a relationship, that can change things dramatically because it brings grace into the scenario. However, both people really need to understand this point. It's not that I, it's not that I sinned only once. It, I had a, a habitual sin and a pattern because my heart was not turned toward God. My heart was turned inward toward myself. My heart was turned away toward the world. My heart was not turned toward God. That's the problem. And then the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. And so there's something that has to happen with our heart. Well, it needs to be made new. It needs to be taken out. Like, I mean, the picture that the prophets give of the, the, the heart of stone being removed and a new heart being put in, that's a good picture. We need a new heart. And so in Christ, that's what we're asking for. And so as we come to the Lord, if we're going to fear the Lord our God, we need to pursue that and say, Lord, I am, I am not satisfied until I see that your heart is within me, that the old things truly have passed away, that truly all things have become new. And I want to move past the, ah, oh, you caught me, I'm so sorry, moment, to the, where I am able to clearly look myself in the mirror, look at myself, look at my own life, assess where's my heart, and make sure that my heart is being, is being, submitted to God, to my creator. Because I do not want to be stuck not understanding that the true issue of my heart is not just this act. It's a heart issue. And so I don't want to apologize to only the person. You know, so Pharaoh is saying, oh Moses, please forgive me. And Moses could actually say, Pharaoh, you're not actually hurting me but look at all your people that you're hurting. Look at your nation that you're destroying. This is gonna come home to your family. It's going to hurt your, your firstborn son's gonna die. And you're gonna, this is, if you don't change everything, you're gonna lose everything. In fact, it will lead to your death. But he says, Moses, I'm sorry, forgive me this once. Totally not understanding the seriousness of the issue that there's a God in heaven who's saying, none of your gods there's no other God before me. There's one God, and it's the God in heaven. And, Mo and Pharaoh is not getting it. So, so we want to humble ourselves before God. Because it's not just this once. Our whole hearts are needing to be renewed. So we need to repent, turn to God once and for all. And so I, I think about this. There are people who are willing to confess their sin because... Then the people around them say, oh, well, you know, he admits that he's wrong, but then they persist in it. So this is, this is not just a, an addiction thing. I, I've seen that maybe it's, maybe it's all addictions. I don't know, because addictions really are just brain patterns. Um, but there is, this, there is this thing saying, well, I know that I am, you know, I, I come across harsh, and I'm, I, it, you know, it's my personality or whatever, and I, I know it's, it hurts people, and I'm sorry, and then you go right on doing the exact same thing, and you don't even try to change. That's a problem. That should not be in the Christian church. We need to admit, to find, when we find this problem, and something's wrong, instead of just saying, oh, you caught me, or oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me this one time, 
It's not enough. It, we have to submit to God. Our heart has to be turned toward God. And so when I think of the heart of Pharaoh, like I don't think that up until this week that I've ever looked at the story of Exodus and been like, oh, am I like Pharaoh? Like, I, I don't do that. I'm like, no, I'm not Pharaoh. I am not the leader of some nation that is holding a whole other nation slaves. I am not in that position. But Pharaoh had a heart problem and his heart was not toward the Lord. And in reality, I have also, I was born with the same heart problem that my heart was not toward the Lord. And there were times, even after I was a believer, even after I'd submitted my life to Christ, that I would find that I had a portion of my heart where my heart itself, because Ezekiel says it and it's so true, our heart is deceitful. And so my heart would be lying to me and be like, you're okay, don't go over here. And then I'd go over there eventually, and Jesus would kind of take you over there and look into my heart and say, look at this spot. And I'm like, oh, well, would you forgive me this one time? And that's not enough. One time, I, I mean, Jesus' power to die for us once is amazing because he can die for us so that he can take care of all the sin in the world. But I, in my heart, have to see this. It's not, this is not a one-time thing. This becomes a posture in my heart where I am surrendered to the living God and that's where I am and that's where I belong. So this is my looking at the heart of Pharaoh and saying, how can I apply this to us? I think this is how we apply it to us. We might think we're Israel, all innocent over there. We might think we're Moses going and taking the word of the Lord into difficult places. But it's possible that we're Pharaoh sitting on our thrones and not willing to actually submit our heart fully to the Lord. And so I don't know where that finds you or how that applies to you, but I know that for myself in the past couple of years, there've been a number of issues where I chose to say, this is not a one-time problem. This is a perpetual issue because my heart is wrong. And I have brought that heart to the Lord and I have, I have basically had to put the stake in the ground and say, no, I'm not going any farther that way. This is where it ends and I had to repent before the Lord and allow him to work through me. And I want to have a heart that is willing to do that until the day I die. So that when the Lord speaks, when I read his word, I don't just assume that I'm automatically in his blessing, but that I can look at my life and say, is this where God wants me? Is this truly the blessing of the Lord? Or am I walking in difficult places because of my actions? And so it's just a good, it's a good question. It's a good heart for us to have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our fellowship. And I thank you for the fellowship of believers all up and down here in our area. And just the reminder from week to week that we are not alone, that we're not the only player on the stage, but that there is a lot happening. You are interacting with many of your people and as you're doing that, Lord, you're looking at each of our hearts and you need our hearts 100% committed, submitted, and, and bowing before you, Lord. And so here we are. I want to submit myself to you, Father. And I just, and, and it's, it's so true, Lord. I, I didn't have a one-time issue. I had a lifetime issue where my heart was bent toward wickedness and needed to be rescued. But you, Lord, have come and you've rescued me. And it's true, Lord, old things have passed away. All things have become new. And because of you, you have given me a new heart. And so I just think of that, 
Lord, you have taken me from walking in sin and you've turned me to being a child of the king and I belong to you. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that I am your child and that because of that, my heart can continually be toward you so that even when I find myself failing, I can turn back to you and say, oh yes, this is where my heart is supposed to be, submitted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So thank you for your love to us and thank you for the encouragement that we as fellow Christians can have with each other as we walk together. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.